Island Church in Galveston, Texas, welcomes you to our podcast. Be encouraged by Pastor Rusty Martin as he teaches the Word of God. Well, let's talk for just a moment about the times, what's going on. I can imagine that, you know, the years that have gone by, every generation is afforded an opportunity to think, you know, this, this is, looks like we could be in the, in the last of the last days. That, you know, I like what Brother Kenneth E. Hagin said. He said he had a great message on the Antichrist, 1940, 41, 42, 43, 44. He said, but in 45, he had to quit, quit preaching it because Hitler died. <laughs> Amen. I can remember as a young boy staying with my grandmother. She lived in a, her and my grandfather lived in a trailer outside of West Columbia, Texas. And this would have been in the summer of 1967. And she kept a little black and white TV. She ironed for a living. She ironed people's clothes and she did sewing and things like that. And, and I remember sitting in there on a particular morning as she ironed and it showed the uh, Israeli army and the troops of the Israeli army running through the streets of Jerusalem, uh, shucking off their, 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 their war, uh, their ammunition and their packs and their canteens and, and their guns and running to the wailing wall and falling on the wailing wall and praying and weeping before the Lord. Well, my grandmother, she just started running around that trailer. She thought the rapture was fixing to ha- t- happen any second, any second. I mean, she had biblical proof. She had, uh, she had uh, a manifestation of something going on in Israel. And I'm telling you, it, it scared me. That stuff used to scare me. I mean, people would get up and prophesy Jesus is coming back. I'd think, oh my goodness. It used to scare me. Now let me just say this. It was a healthy scare. Because nothing stayed in my heart for 12 years of being backslidden, stronger than the words, Jesus is coming back. Man, when I was away from God, that would haunt my mind. I would think, Jesus is coming back, and I'm living like a fool. Jesus is coming back, and I'm not serving him. I mean, not, not, not you know, a month, month, you know, months apart. I'm talking about like every day. It tormented my mind every day. I remember, since my sister's here, I'll tell this story. Uh, my mom, my sister, my dad, my sister had been with Youth With a Mission. This was, I guess it would be back in the 70s, Cheryl? 79, right in there. And she was home, and they were attending a, a uh, Thanksgiving camp meeting or convention at Lakewood Church. And it was Saturday morning, and they sat at the table eating as I came in uh, to, the, to the dining room there after a Friday night, which was just like every other night, amen. And I was about half stoned from the night before. And they were talking at the table, and they were so excited. And they were just, you know, what, what John Osteen said, and what Jerry B. Walker said, and what this one said, and that one said. And the more they talked, the more irritated I got. And so I just spoke up and make, made this statement. I said, I'll be glad when the rapture takes place and gets all you people out of here. Well, you'd have thought that, you know, uh, uh, you know, that dad might have grabbed me and beat me real good. Actually, it was my mom and my sister. They both got up. They both began to shout. They both began to say, he's thinking of the rapture. <laughs> that means he's thinking about the word. 
It won't be long now. And it wasn't long. It won't be long now because he's thinking about the rapture. Listen, church, just the times that we live in are going to have to make you more aware that we are in those days in which the rapture can take place at any moment. The second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But I'm telling you what, the Bible says Jesus is coming back for a glorious church. Revelations gives us a picture. Revelation gives us a picture. John, the, the revelator, shows us that in these times God is looking down at the church, looking at people, and He's looking for people to be white hot in the things of God. He says those are lukewarm. He said, I'd rather you be cold and indifferent than to be lukewarm. He said, if you're lukewarm, I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. This is a time to really, really be on fire for God in every area and every part of your life. We've been studying, we started last week uh, looking at, we, we looked at the heart of worship or having a heart for worship. Then we're, we're just kind of looking at a heart for Jesus. Now, this is a, how can I say this? This is a foundational revelation in my life and a foundational teaching in my ministry which comes out of Philippians chapter 3. So if you want to turn in your Bible, turn to Philippians chapter 3. I'm going to read it both in the King James Bible, I read it last week. I'm going to read it in the Passion Bible also that you'll kind of get a gist of that then we'll take off from there again. Because listen, more than anything else, you need a heart for Jesus. Now we kind of gave you a little historical background about the Apostle Paul, this being a, a prison letter, what we would call a prison letter, written in the last, uh, 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 last years of his life as he was in prison in Rome actually in the lowest part of the prison, reserved for the most, the most uh, wicked, the most uh, uh, you know, detestable uh, criminals uh, in Rome and in Italy. Uh, that's where they put them, down there. And they lived over a grate that, that, that the sewer ran under. You can imagine what that must have been like. Just the flies and the rats. And here he is, he's down there penning letters to the church. Somebody's got a heart for Jesus. Amen. Now in so doing, his heart is revealed. You say, what do you mean his heart is revealed? Uh, his, his true, let's, let's say it like this, his true motivation and his ulterior motive for ministry. You say, now what do you mean ulterior motive for ministry? Now listen, if his total motive would have been for ministry, then Philippians chapter 3 would have read a whole lot different. Because then he would have been talking about more churches, more missionary trips, more Bible schools, more special miracles, more crusades, more letters, more revelations, more experiences. But that's not what he talked about at all. Actually what he talked about was his accumulation of what he got religiously and how he counted that but dung. One translation says to be thrown on a scrappy. One translation says a big old pile of manure. That's what he called everything he had done in life, everything that he had succeeded in doing, he called it a big old pile of manure. And he says, I count it lost for the excellency, now listen to this, for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ. Now if you go through the Bible and mark scriptures that talk about the knowledge of Christ, you'll see that the knowledge of Christ is tied to every blessing God has for you. That means the more you know about Jesus the more you're going to know about yourself. The more you know about yourself, the more you're going to see Him in you, 
and see yourself as the one that Christ hath redeemed. Man, when you begin to see yourself like that, it changes the entire dynamic of your spiritual life. You say, what do you mean by that? You're no longer this person just kind of going through life and, you know, going to church every once in a while and singing the songs and giving in a few offerings. And, and you know, if we really get in trouble, then we'll, we'll bow our knee and pray. You want, listen, you, that, you're, let me say it like this. Your expression of Christianity no longer becomes an effort of any kind. It's not an effort of any kind. I can honestly say, after 36 years, my expression of my faith is not an effort on my part. This is what I am. It's not what I do, it's what I am. I am a new creature. I am the righteousness of God. I am the healed of God. I am the blessed. When you start getting the I am's of God into your life, it changes the whole perspective of how you view God and how you serve God. Now, his story, Paul's story, uh, hold your finger there, right there in, 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 uh, in where did I tell you, Philippians? Hold your finger there in Philippians for just a moment and go to Acts. Let me show you something. Go to Acts chapter 7. I'm, I'm just going to read a couple of scriptures here. In Acts chapter 7, speaking of Stephen in verse 56, he's being stoned. They're executing this guy. They're throwing rocks at him till he's dead. The, the, uh, the tradition of the, of the Jewish people was to throw rocks until the individual expired and died and then continue to throw rocks until you can heap a big pile of stones upon that person and that pile of stones testified to why you had to stone them in the first place. Amen? Now notice what it says. Speaking of Stephen, he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then, cry, uh, then they cried out uh, with a loud voice and stopped their ears and ran upon him with one accord and cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet whose name was Saul and they stoned Stephen calling upon God saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And when he had thus said, he fell asleep. Verse 1 of chapter 8. And Saul, this is this young man, Saul. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church at Jerusalem. And all were scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea, Samaria, except the apostles. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation for him. As for Saul, he made havoc. Now listen, amplified. As for Saul, Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continually with cruelty and violence. Entering house after house, he dragged out men and women and committed them to prison. Whoa! This guy's something else. Amen? Now notice chapter 9. The same guy, man, we just can't get rid of him. And Saul, breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and desired letters or warrants to Damascus, to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any, any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Could you see in, in, in Saul of Tarsus' mind 
as he had this big stack. He, he probably was carrying it in a, some kind of satchel. And he's got all these warrants for anybody found worshiping God, worshiping Jesus, confessing to be born again. And I could see in his mind, he could see himself leading this parade of people bound, bound together by ropes. And he's bringing them back to Jerusalem for trial and stoning. Amen. Well, this guy, I tell you what, thank God there's none of them around right now. Not that we know of. Amen. It says in verse 3, and he journeyed. As he journeyed, he came near Damascus. Now listen to this. And suddenly. <laughs> you missed a good opportunity to shout. And suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. Woo, glory to God. A light from heaven. He fell to the earth. He heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? He said, Who art thou, Lord? Now notice this. And the Lord said, I am Jesus. I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Now, the, the, the terminology to kick against the pricks comes from the men and women of that day and era, back in you know, the ancient times, in which they would have to use a sharp stick to prod animals. You know, not, not all the time are animals trained perfectly, and some of them you know, can, can, can be stubborn, oxen, donkeys, stuff like that. So in their movement, you want them to go another direction. They don't want to go that direction. You start sticking them with this stick. Well, the Apostle Paul, we know by his writings, was being prodded by the Holy Ghost. Even his journey to Damascus, you say, now why is that? Because I did a study of this, and as he journeyed to Damascus, he had to go through that region of Galilee and all that area where people were talking about, yeah, yeah, he raised a dead person over there. He fed 5,000 right over on that hill. He fed 5,000. Well, right over there, there were 10 lepers that were here. Well, right over there, see that, that, that little city over there? A woman touched his garment and was totally healed of 12 years of having hemorrhage for 12 years. So he's hearing this as he goes, not only that, Jesus taught his disciples to pray for those who despitefully... So there's the intercession of the church and there's the testimony of Jesus in the geography where he was traveling. Listen, I went to Israel in 1985 and I walked those roads and went into that city and, and, and came into Jerusalem. You cannot deny that you're in the city of God. The geography of Israel cries out, God's nation. The geography of the church ought to cry out the same thing. Amen. So by the time he gets outside of Damascus, he's ripe. He's ready for conversion. You say, well, why did God give him such a spectacular conversion? Because he had something spectacular for him to do. And he didn't talk about how great things he was going to do. Great churches you're going to build. Great uh, evangelistic crusades you're going to go on. He said, how great things you must suffer for my sake. See, we don't like that. That's not convenient to our modern way of thinking. Amen. But I guarantee you, in the midst of suffering, the church thrives. The true church. I said the true church. In the midst of suffering, the church thrives. And if you'll just check up on your life, you'll see that some of the things that you th suffered through the most empowered you the most. That's why the Bible says, count it what? Count it all joy. 
It's another opportunity to prove the Word of God works. This is another opportunity to prove true uh, healing is true. This is another opportunity to prove that prosperity is the Word of God. This is another opportunity to prove that righteousness rules and reigns even here on this wicked earth in the lives of men and women that serve the Lord Jesus Christ. But this was an impacting event. I can relate to it a little bit. I've studied other people in the Bible. You can go back to to, uh, Philippians chapter 3. Let me get over there. I was studying Moses because Moses always fascinated me. Because he seemingly disqualified himself to do what God had called him to do by murdering an Egyptian which really didn't garner the appreciation the appreciation of the children of Israel. They kind of criticized him. He took off into the wilderness. He was there for 40 years. Then he had what the Bible describes as a burning bush experience. That burning bush experience God revealed himself. God spoke to him. Not only that, at that burning bush experience, he received instruction, a plan on what to do and how to do it. Not only that, a transfer took place. That's what he said. That's why he said, take off your shoes from off your feet. For the place where you're standing is holy. The holiness of God and the righteousness of God just went right in. There was a transfer that took place into Moses. Amen? Now, it's not the same thing thing that we enjoy through the new birth, but it's what he needed for what he was called to do. Now, if you go study Deuteronomy, which uh, uh, is the last book of what they call the law of the Torah, then you will see Moses is, is passing off of the scene. He's going into Abraham's bosom and he's going into paradise. And as he does, he has the elders of all the tribes pass before. You know, there's Judah and Simeon, and Benjamin, and Iskar, and you know, on and on. There's 12 different tribes of the nation of Israel. Now each one of the elders of the tribe passed before him, and he lays hands upon him, and he begins to bless them, and he begins to speak a prophetic word over the tribes. If you go study what he said to Judah, he talked about Messiah coming through Judah. All of them had different blessings, different words that were given. Now his qualification... For the words. Now he could have used the experiential manifestations he had experienced as being the prophet that brought them out. He could say, you know, I'm prophesying to you by the God that divided the ocean. By the God that sent the manna. By the God that destroyed the Egyptians. By the God that, you know, did all that he did. The, by the God that brought the, brought the uh, water out of the flinty rock. He could have, but he didn't. None of it. What he said was, he was blessing the, the, the elders of the tribes of Israel by the good pleasure of he that dwelt within the bush. You go back and you study the Apostle Paul's messages. In the book of Acts, they all start out like this. I was on the road to Damascus and a light shined from heaven brighter than the noonday sun. So there are, how can I say this? Places in your life that are more impactful than you think. Many times it takes people like 
Paul or Moses or the men of, men of the previous generation. I studied a lot under two different ministers. I had many ministers that I studied under. But uh, uh, two of them particularly, uh, Brother Kenneth E. Hagin, uh, who's gone on to heaven, and, and Dr. Lester Summerall. Uh, Brother Hagin was dying of a, of a heart disease, deformed heart, a blood disease, and no telling what else was wrong with him as a young boy. Paralyzed for 16 months, reading his mother's Methodist Bible, he was healed miraculously and then spent 68 years in ministry, basically changing the way the entire body of Christ viewed the subject of faith. He was a true prophet of faith. Now, what's amazing, because I sat under his ministry as a child, as a teenager, I sat under it in my 20s, in my 30s, my 40s, my 50s, 60s. I've sat under it, and almost any teaching you get from Brother Hagin or any book you read, he always goes back and references what happened to him as a 17-year-old paralyzed boy who everybody said is supposed to die. Every doctor, five different doctors said, you're supposed to die. Nobody could help him. Nobody could, but he just read the Bible and believed God and got healed. And he goes back and references it. Dr. Summerall was the same way. When he was 17, he was dying of tuberculosis. His lungs were ate out. That bloody, uh, I've heard him tell the story, that bloody flux was already coming up. It was on his lips every day. He had to wipe, why he said he'd wipe his lips and there'd be blood every time. He lived, he was a young boy in Panama City, Florida. He said, laying there dying, Laying there dying, a vision appeared on the wall. On the wall was an open grave. He said it was a tombstone, a hole with a dirt piled off to the side, and an open Bible. And he said the voice of the Lord spoke in his heart and said, Choose one. Choose one. He said, I said, Lord, I don't want to preach. He said, The Lord said, Then you'll die. He said, I'll preach. The next morning he woke up without a symptom in his body. They couldn't believe it. They, they were already preparing for him to die. He references it over and over and over throughout his books, throughout his ministry. He always goes back to that vision on the wall. Preach or die. I don't want to preach. Then you'll die. I'll preach. Amen. And he shook the world with his ministry. Started churches in 149 different countries. Now, our problem is this. We hear stories like Paul, we hear stories like Moses, we hear stories like Brother Summerall, Brother Hagin, or Roberts, same way. He's dying of tuberculosis, 17 years old. His parents took him to a camp meeting. The reason he laid hands on so many people in his ministry is that's how he was healed. An evangelist came out to their car where they had him in the back seat, laid hands on him, and he was healed. Talking to him personally, he told me, he said, for many years I laid hands on over 10,000 people a day. And he would always reference the word he got from God, the healing that manifests, and how God had showed up in his life in this great sensational event. So we discount our own. Now let me say that again. We discount our own because it does not carry the weight of the spectacular. You say, what do you mean by that? Every one of you in here who are born again, Jesus is your Lord. There was a point in your life in which the grace of God, the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ manifested and you stepped out of death into life 
and you stepped out of darkness and you stepped into light. Now keep that in your mind. Let me read this. I'm just I'm going to start in verse 10. Paul is speaking that I may know him, speaking of Christ, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his suffering, being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might have attained unto the resurrection of the dead. Not as though I've already attained, either already perfect, but I follow after if that I may apprehend that which I also am, am, am apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do. Now here's the most important point. This one thing I do. If you don't do this, it doesn't work. Are you with me? This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind. Now let me say that again. I mean everything. You say, what do you mean by that? See, we, we reference this many times to, well, you know, uh, that's talking about sin. That's talking about our sinful life. That's, no, no, no. He's, ta he's talking about the desire of his heart is to know Christ above everything else. I have an ulterior motive for all the churches, for all the miracles, for all the letters I've wrote, for everything I've ever gotten done, everywhere I've ever gone. Sure, I did all of that, but I was just doing that, trying to get to know that guy that got a hold of me on the road to Damascus. All I know is I was, I was uh, an enemy to the church, an enemy to God, an enemy to redemption, and God had mercy on me. And now I've spent my life building churches, special miracles. I've spent my life doing all I can do to try to get a hold of what got a hold of me. Here I am at the end of my life. You ask me what I want. I want to know Him and I want to get a hold of what got a hold of me way back on the road to Damascus. And it begins by letting go of the things that are behind us. Now listen to it. Forgetting those things. Now listen, if God says you can forget it, you can forget it. Some of you have had some bad experiences serving God. Forget it. Somebody, some of you have had some great experiences serving God. Forget it. You say, why? You mean forget the great experience? Yeah, because you'll try to cut everything off that experience. You've got to forget it and move forward. Sure, you had a great miracle last year. Sure, you had a great miracle in the 90s. Sure, you had a great miracle in the Thank God. But forget that and move forward. Forget those things that are behind. Amen. Now notice. And reaching forth unto the things which are before. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ. Now I've got all these Bibles back in my office and in my house. and I, I, I looked at several translations and I, I tell you, I like this Passion Bible translation of this. Let me start in verse 10. I'll just read here a minute. I continue, and I continually long to know the wonders of Jesus more fully and to experience the overflowing power of his resurrection working in me. I will be one with him in his suffering, and I will be one with him in his death. Only then will I be able to experience complete oneness with him in his resurrection from the realm of death. I admit I haven't acquired 
the absolute fullness that I am pursuing, but I run with passion. Now listen to this. I run with passion into His abundance so that I might reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to follow and wants me to discover. Did you get that? There is something for every one of us that Jesus wants us to follow and discover. What an exciting life to live a life of discovery. You can't discover America. It's already been discovered. Amen? All of the discoveries that we enjoy that give us so much, you can't do it, they've already been discovered. But you can live a life in a quest to discover the depth of the blessing that God has provided for you in Christ Jesus. And if that's the life you choose to live, God's going to equip you with everything you need to live that life. Oh, I like that. I run with passion. Mm-mm-mm. Into His abundance so that I may reach the purpose that Jesus Christ has called me to follow and wants me to discover. I don't depend on my own strength to accomplish this. However, I do have one compelling focus. One compelling focus. I forget all of the past as I fashion my heart to the future instead. You'll never fasten your heart to the future until you unhook it from the past. Now, we can get on the negative side of that. Sure, absolutely. Past disappointments, past hopes, past dreams that didn't come to pass, past expectations. But it's got to be everything. It's got to be complete. Don't you know he's ridding himself right here of all the accolades we could give him, of everything we could say about how great the Apostle Paul is. Kind of something that Brother Roland was saying earlier. The word great. I was in a meeting one time and they were introducing the speaker and they called him a great man of God. And they shouldn't have done that because this guy's, he's, 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 you don't have to wonder what he's thinking because he's going to tell you what he's thinking. And he got up and kind of bristled and he said, huh, a great man of God. He said, you use the word great, God and man in the same sentence and you put the great on man? Yeah, that's about what it was. You could hear a pin drop out there. He said, all I am is a man of a great God. He got about a half-hearted shout, but still, pretty awkward moment. I forget all of the past as I fasten my heart to the future. How can you fasten your heart to the future? You've got to disconnect it from the past. I run straight for the divine invitation of reaching the heavenly goal and gaining the victory prize through the anointing of Jesus. Now listen, each and every one of you, you say, but I go back, Pastor, to you talk about Brother Hagen and you talk about Brother Summerall, you talk about Oral Roberts, you talk about Paul, you talk about Moses, and here I sit and I just work some job, I'm trying to raise my kids, do this and that. How can what affected them affect me? It's the same God. And you may not have had near as a spectacular of a conversion but your conversion is just as supernatural. You were on your own Damascus Road, doing your own thing, doing your own way, and light shined upon your life. And you recognized and realized, I'm a sinner in need of a Savior, and the Savior showed up. His name is Jesus. 
Now, I think many times what has happened is people count salvation as something that has happened to them in their past. When salvation carries no limitation of time, it carries no boundary of geography when it comes to distance. You say, what do you mean by that? Anybody, anywhere can get saved at any time. Not only that, you're not saved as in the past tense. You are actually, what the Bible says, being saved every day. Every day, salvation is working in your life. Every day is assuring your heart that you're right with God. Every day is helping to let you know that you're right with God. You're on the right path. That you're righteous. That you're healed. That you're blessed of God. Every day, as much as you allow God to download the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in you, you're going to live in the joy of your salvation. How come so many times we see the word salvation? It's connected to the word joy. Amen. And many times you look at Christians, you think, my goodness. <laughs> Amen. That happened to me one time. My cousin and I, I have a crazy cousin in California. We had an uncle that passed away. He came down for the funeral with his family. After the funeral, we went out and partied. Went to a house over in Texas City, a friend of mine's house, who I worked with, whose wife was a devout Baptist. I mean a devout Baptist. And so we're in the, her living room in there smoking weed, drinking beer, listening to rock and roll music, having a party. She didn't like that in her house. She came in with a Bible in her hand. She started just, just, I mean, she started tearing into us. So right in the middle of that, I said this. I said, hold on. Hold on. <sighs> Hold on. That's <laughs> about the way I said it. Hold on. I said, the problem with you, Baptist, is you don't have the Holy Ghost. Now, I'll never forget this as long as I live. She looked at me and she said, if that's what you have, I don't want it. That rocked me to my very core. Four years later, that same woman walked up the aisle of a church I was preaching in and got filled with the Holy Ghost. And after she quit speaking in tongues for about ten minutes, she looked at me and said, I knew if he had it, it was of God. <laughs> Something got a hold of me. March the, March the 7th, 1984. Sure, I got born again when I was seven. I got filled with, I mean, got born again when I was six. Got filled with the Holy Ghost when I was seven. Something got a hold of me then. I loved God. I loved the Lord. But listen, you can lose that if you don't protect that. What you don't protect in value, you will always lose. Let me say that again. What you, protect, what you don't protect in value, you will always lose it. I lost that. Didn't know if I could ever get it back. Didn't think, if I, didn't think I could. Then when on my knees in front of a television set with no strength, no willpower. No, why didn't you just quit doing it? I couldn't quit doing it. It had me. I don't know if you've ever been there where it has you. The alcohol has you. The drug has you. The lifestyle, it has you. You're not going to break that with willpower. 
You're not going to be counseled out of that. It's not going to be counseled out of you. I, I ran with people. They, they went to their grave. I mean, wide open. Never slowed down. Went straight into their grave as young people. You say, well, this stuff gets a hold of you. You can't get loose from it. But, but kneeling in front of that television, I didn't see a flash of light. I didn't see an angel. I didn't see a, I didn't see a, a you know, have some big... All I knew is when I got up off of my knees that everything I was bound with was broken. You say, well, how do you know that? 36 years is the proof of the pudding. It was all broken. Every bit of it was gone. You say, how do you know it was gone? I can't tell you how I knew. I just knew that I knew that I knew. People thought I'd lost my mind. People would call me on the phone. I'd tell them, don't call me no more. I'm not doing this no more. I'd say, what do you mean you're not doing this anymore? What is this? I would say, whatever this is, I'm not doing it anymore. I'm not smoking it no more. I'm not drinking it no more. I'm not running with people that do it. People were just, they, they, they thought I had lost my mind. I think on both sides. <laughs> Amen. But here's the thing. It was strong enough. It was strong enough. It was powerful enough. Just like in the Apostle Paul's life just like in Moses' life, just like in anybody else's life, it was strong enough to motivate in me an ulterior motive to everything I've done in the past 36 years. You say, what do you mean by that? Well, I've done a lot. I've gone a lot. Been a lot of places. Even, even in the 18 years that we've, we've, we've uh, pioneered this church, we've, we've gone to the nations of the world. We've preached in camp meetings and conferences and crusades. We've preached to the, to the masses and we've preached to the few. We've preached to them over the internet. We do everything we can do to get the gospel out, to touch the hurting, to get the sick healed, to deliver the oppressed, to fulfill what Jesus said for us to do. But that's not my motive of life. All of that was an ulterior motive to the pathway of what? Knowing Him. Knowing Him. Now, let me just say this. You say, now, why are you, why are you, you, you kind of re-preaching what you preached last week? No, not really. If you go listen to the two, you see it's not a re-preach, it's an, it's an add and two. You say, now, why is that? Here's the reason right here. We are being afforded. Now, you're going to have to, this is why I trust this is going to change your entire perspective. We are being afforded something wonderful. Now, let me say that again. We are being afforded something wonderful. I know the, what they're saying on the news. I know uh, the tragedy of what this, this uh, uh, disease can produce. I know the potential of what can happen to the world economically. I know all of that. But in the midst of that, we are being granted something. You're going to have to get this today, church. Not just as a church, not just me as a pastor, not just you know evangelists or missionaries that work out of this. None of that. We're being granted as believers an opportunity like never before to live this in front of a panic-stricken world. And for them to see in us, yes, there is a Damascus road. There is a light that shines from heaven brighter than the new day sun. There is a way you can live through this where it doesn't affect or infect you. Actually, you step up on the crisis and you're higher than it was before, than you were before it started. Or just the opposite is also true. Where you can hunker down 
He said, what point are you trying to make? You're going to have to live for God like never before. Jesus is coming back. Now we can amen that, but do we really believe that? Do we really believe? If Jesus was truly coming back, and we really believed Jesus was coming back, what would we do? Now, now, now say, say some powerful manifestation happened. Auditorium filled with smoke. All of a sudden, every person in the auditorium could see the angelic beings in the, in the, in the, in the auditorium. Jesus Christ himself would appear on the platform, step down right here, hold up a date, June the 13th, 2020. And under it, it says, the rapture shall take place. And without a doubt, the anointing, the Spirit of God, everything convinces you, I'm telling you, the rapture is going to take place on June the 13th, 2020. See, man has tried this before. I remember 88 reasons why Jesus is coming in 1988. Actually, we preached in a church. pastor was handing out all the books. I told him, don't do that. He said, why? Because next year you're going to have to tell people why you did that. (laughs) Caused his church to shut down. Don't do that. We don't know when he's coming back. We don't know the day or the hour. But what if you did? What if you actually did? What if you knew the exact day Jesus was coming back? How would you live? Now, the reason for you said, why are you saying that? That's exactly how every disciple that followed Jesus and every believer that got born again in the beginnings of the church, in the beginning of this move, every one of them, when he went up in that cloud and those 500 saw him and he said, I'm coming back the same way, they thought, that's tomorrow. They thought, that's tomorrow. Paul thought, that's tomorrow. And they lived their life every day like Jesus was coming back tomorrow. What kind of witness would that make you? What kind of faith would that put in you? What kind of boldness would that put in you? How many people would you go to and tell them, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back. You know, there's going to be all kinds. Listen, I'm telling, I'm seeing some of it already. I got a deal on my phone the other day. All these prophecies that are beginning, all this kind of stuff. The doom, the gloom, the, oh my God, we're going to, you know, it's all going to be over. And, you know, the church is going to have to go underground. And let me say something. This is our finest hour. This is a day in which the gospel is going to be preached. I've been, I've been talking to uh, uh, Pastor Paul Chase all week, and they can't have church. They, they've shut down Manila. They're shutting down the Philippines. I mean, they're shutting it down. They're not even letting them drive on the highways. And you think, you think his attitude was, well, you know, man, they're shutting us down. No, they're going on the Internet. They're doing everything they can do to empower the people. They're sending people out full of faith. and power. I mean, they're just, they're just taking it to another level. Amen. Now listen, these things that are happening, don't think in your mind in any way that we're going to go back to something that you could call normal. We passed that about a week ago. I said, we passed that about a week ago. Hey, I'm telling you something. I grew up in this area all my life. If you cancel the Houston Rodeo, you're in trouble. I mean, if you, if you can keep 100,000 rednecks from gathering, you are in trouble. Come on, church. 
And they're canceling everything they can. They're trying to shut down society. They're doing all of this. And it's, listen, it's not, we're not going back to anything called normal because this is just the first one. There'll be something else after this, something else after this, something else after that, after that, after that, after that. Now let me just say this because I, 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 I want you to take your life to another level. We had a major change in our life in ministry. 2001, 2002. September of 2001, I was in Elk River, uh, Elk River, Minnesota, doing a Sunday through Wednesday, two services a day. I felt like I had a knife in my chest. I mean, I literally I felt like I was like, and I, I'm not talking about some kind of pain, like you think, oh, there's something wrong with my heart. I knew it was in my spirit. The pastor was taking me to the, to the uh, airport. I think I was flying out on the 2nd or 3rd. I'd been there the last part of August, first part of September. And he said, he just kept looking at me, kept saying, what do you, what do you sense in your spirit? What do you sense in your spirit? And I said, I don't know, but there's something wrong. And there's something really wrong. And it wasn't a few days later. Actually, Leah came and woke me up. I'd been doing something late at night. and She came and woke me up and said, come watch this. And 9-11 was happening. And when that, when that happened, that 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 sensation in my chest was gone. I knew that was it right there. I knew that was it. Now see, we'd been serving the Lord 18 years. Now it's been another 18 years. I got that knife in my chest again. But it hadn't gone away yet. So I know we're not there yet. And I'm teaching and preaching you these things to prepare you. Listen, we're not behind the curve. Why do you think God told us to start praying in the month of March? Doesn't look like we're going to stop it in April. We're going to have to keep praying as a church. God knew what was coming. That's why he said keep praying, keep interceding. Have those prayer meetings on Wednesday night. Have them on Saturday night. Have them on Sunday morning before church. Have church. Do what you need to do. Pray, intercede. See, God always sends a wave of prayer and intercession to do one of two things. To either stop something from happening or to lessen its effect. I don't want to see our nation shut down. I don't want to see martial law. I don't want to see hundreds and thousands of people losing their jobs and their livelihoods. I don't want to see none of that. And I don't want to see thousands and thousands of people dying of some silly virus that the name of Jesus and the blood of Jesus has already taken care of. So what's God's doing? We're in a definite stage of preparation. I was praying the other day and the, the, the Lord reminded me of what was taking place in England in 1944, first week of June. He said, what was taking place? There was all kinds of activity because people were getting ready for something that had never happened before. And it's something that broke the tyranny of the devil over the entire planet. And I tell you, that kind of, that, that kind of activity is going on in the spirit realm right now. And there's ever attempt of the adversary to do everything he can do to try to dumb you down, to try to pull you into apathy, try to pull you in complacency. This is not a day for that. This is a day to know him like you've never known him before. To seek those scriptures, to pray, to come and pray. You say, well, what if we can't have church anymore? Then what we're going to do is we're going to go on the internet we're going to have church every day. We're just going to have an everyday service. Brother Roland and I and Flip will come up here. Brother Roland will play his guitar, sing. I'm going to get up and preach. We're going to play it at noon. We're going to play it at 6 o'clock at night. And we're going to do it day after day after day after day till we can gather again. We're not without a plan. I said we're not without a plan. 
You send in your offering, send in your prayer request. We'll just keep right on moving, keep on giving the missions, doing what God said to do. And next time we gather, there'll probably be double or triple of the people because we're not willing to give up. We just keep going forward. We let go of the things that are behind. And we connect ourselves to the future and allow that pull of the future to pull us right into the blessing and provision of God. Amen. Lift your hands and worship the Lord. Father, we worship you this morning. We thank you, Lord God, for the opportunity, the dangerous opportunity we have as a church. Give us a heart for Jesus like we've never had before. Let our hearts be full. Let your power be present. Let your anointing be manifest in Jesus. Father, we bless your name. Now, Lord, we thank you that as our history and tradition of a church has evolved over the years, we have incorporated this prayer in which we make a declaration and I, as the spiritual head of this church, under you, Lord Jesus, declare over this congregation Psalms 91, declaring no evil befalls us, no plague comes in our dwelling place, angels have charge over us, so we declare in our travels... Highways, airways, seaways, railways, any other way of travel or transportation, in the righteous labor of our hands, in our interaction with society. Thank you, Father. We are the protected of God. There is a uniqueness to us as a people. The faith and person and presence of the Holy Ghost that abides and empowers, raises up a standard of protection and blessing this world does not know. But we know it, Lord. No evil plans of wicked men, nor the devil himself, shall affect us or infect us in any way. For we are the strong of the Lord. We're strong in the Lord and the power of His might. And Father, we pray like never before that that door of utterance will open unto us as individuals, that the fire of evangelism will burn in our heart as men and women around us panic. We thank you for a calm, peace, an open door to preach the gospel and the blessing of God causing harvest to come into our hands as we see sons and daughters born into the kingdom of God. Thank you, Father, as we leave today. We as your people will be an answer to somebody's prayer a miracle in somebody's life, that our existence in society will dispel the fear, for we walk in faith. We thank you. As we leave today, we walk in faith and love towards you, Lord. We walk in love toward one another. We leave as the ambassadors of Christ you've called us to be, saying here at Island Church, we're covered by the blood, empowered by the Word, and anointed by the Holy Ghost. Thank you for listening to Island Church's podcast. To find out more information about Island Church in Galveston, Texas, visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.